Amen. Thank you, team. What a wonderful song. And uh, let's take our Bibles and let's follow that up by allowing the Lord to just speak to us through His Word. And I love teaching through books of the Bible. Um, It makes Sunday by Sunday a lot easier when we just kind of keep moving through the text. For me, I don't have to wake up on Monday and think, hmm, what do I want to preach about next Sunday? Uh, the problem with speak, preaching through books of the Bible, and we, by the way, I'm saying that, and we're going to take a Christmas break. I'm going to do a little Christmas series called Christmas Questions. I think it'll be very interesting, and one of the reasons I like to do a Christmas series in particular is it's a great time to invite guests. Uh, and these questions are some of the things that they might be asking, like, what's the big deal about Mary? Uh, a lot of folks say Mary is divine in different ways. We're going to take a, a look at Mary. We're going to take a look at the virgin birth. Is that an important doctrine? Why is that so important? We're going to talk about why did Israel respond to Jesus the way they did? What were they expecting? So some of those great Christmas questions. What's the incarnation? Why did God have to come in the flesh? So some of those things might be of interest to you. So I hope uh, you'll be with us in the Advent season. And that starts, believe it or not, next week. And uh, also, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week and, and time with your family together. Uh, but back to 1 Corinthians, one of the things as we move through a book of the Bible, it becomes very uh, obvious when a pastor skips a chapter. And you always ask the question, it just begs the question, why did he skip that? And you start reading the question. So I might as well preach through it because you're going to wonder, what was wrong with chapter 5? Did he not want to tackle that? Well, when I talk to you about chapter 5 today, you might understand why some pastors and others might be tempted to just cut it short and not, not preach this. This is a very challenging, but I'm telling you, this is one of those commands that uh, um, is, is potentially the hardest for Christians to follow through on Uh, we're good a lot we're good at a lot of things about obeying God but this is one that churches and individual Christians often are most disobedient in and so it's important for us to know what God says about church discipline church discipline sin in the church now if you've been with us uh, you know kind of where we've been if this is your first time Paul is writing a letter to the book to the Corinthian church. He's not there. He can't get there anytime soon. He is planning to come, but he hears there's great division in the church. He hears there's great immorality in the church, but this church is full of gifted speakers and and spiritual gifts. It's a tremendous church, but they've allowed a lot of sin to take root in the body of Christ. And so this letter is trying to help them get that straight. So read with me uh, the entire chapter. We'll walk our way through it. So he's moving from divisions over particular leaders. Who is my favorite leader, my favorite speaker, my favorite philosopher? That argument now into a different area of sin that he just, it, it just disgusts him. Not the sin as much as the fact that the church tolerates it. Listen to this. It is actually reported, and the, in the Greek, for a thousand years, it was always kind of translated, everybody knows. Everybody knows this. It has been reported that there is sexual immorality 
among you in your church and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And what that means is that's, that's an incestuous relationship. The, the, the fact that Paul uses the term his father's wife lets you know he's not talking about his mother. It's not his biological mother. It was his stepmother. And maybe his father passed away or maybe they got a divorce. Maybe this affair between his adult son and his younger stepmother uh, drove, created a divorce. You can imagine all the Hollywood scandal that could potentially be, right? And even the pagan world had laws against incest, sleeping with his mother-in-law. And, and the idea from this chapter is that they're now living together. It, it says he has his father's wife. It doesn't say he had. It wasn't a one-night stand. I'm sorry, this is a PG sermon this morning. Maybe PG-13. But I, you need to see he is, he is in habitual, blatant, everybody sees it, unrepentant sin. But the sin of the individual, in Paul's mind, doesn't rival the sin of the church for tolerating it. Look at verse 2. You are arrogant. The church. Ought you not rather to mourn? In other words, there were people arguing that that was okay. It was getting back to Paul that they're defending this practice. They've said, well, you know, grace covers this sin. Uh, it's not really a problem. They love each other. It's natural. You can imagine all, because we hear it day in and day out about sexual sin. You hear it all over the media, all day long. You hear it in, in schools. You hear it on social media, describing how all sorts of sexual immorality is natural, good. We were born this way. It's, we just ought to, and if we love people and we're not judgmental, we would never say anything about it. And he says, that is arrogance. Ought you not rather mourn? And this word mourn is what you do when someone dies. Let him who has done this be removed from your membership, from among you. Don't let them come to church anymore. Put them outside of the church. For though absent in body, I am present in the Spirit. As if I was present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. And when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, now that's called church. When you come together as church, I want you to come together on a special church for, for a special time. In the present, my spirit is present. But more importantly, the spirit and power of the Lord Jesus is present. And in that setting, verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord at the judgment. You're boasting, and then he kind of moves on. He says, but you're boasting, church. Your toleration of this is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Leaven's a picture of sin. He says, you have been made uh, guiltless because of the blood of Christ and now you're taking that you're unleavened bread and now you're taking the old leaven of your old life and sprinkling it back into 
your purified lives. Don't do that. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. And I think he's talking about the Lord's Supper here. And they did that every Sunday. We do it every few Sundays. They did it every Sunday. They would have a feast. They would eat and they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter earlier. So they had gotten a letter already from Paul, and he had told them uh, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, guess what? They twisted that and said, well, obviously we're not talking about uh, sexually immoral in the church. He's talking about all those evil people outside the church. He says, no, you got it all wrong. I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, who calls themselves a Christian, if he is continually guilty of unrepented sexual immorality or, what, greed? Um, or if he's an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil person from among you. Aren't those tough words for our enculturated American ears to hear? But how important they are. Let's pray together. Father, I I ask that you would Keep me from in any way diluting the strength and clarity of your word. It's holy. It's authoritative. We have no right to stand in judgment over 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It stands in judgment over us. May we hear it with open hearts and open minds. And may we live it with a love, a passion for your church and your bride. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We practice this in small ways, but important ways. In fact, I, I read the other day that uh, this Thanksgiving uh, is going to be, it's going to rival the travel of 2019 Thanksgiving. So people are going back home for Thanksgiving. I mean, they're starting to travel. They're getting back together. Last year, a lot of Thanksgiving feasts like I'm going to have on Thursday. A lot of Thanksgiving feasts were minus a bunch of people, and they did that for a good reason. They didn't want grandmother and granddaddy to come to the feast and get COVID. It wasn't worth it. They didn't want the little kids to get COVID. And so they said, all right, we are going to voluntarily isolate, segregate for this feast for the sake of the family, to keep the family healthy. You must understand, when we read Corinthians, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God himself sees you, not as a congregation of listeners, listening to a preacher. He sees us as a family, his family. And there are things that we need to do sometimes to keep a virus from spreading. To, for the health of the entire family. And when churches ignore sin, churches get sick. They do. In fact, if we jump to 1 Corinthians 11, 
That's where we take those uh, verses out and we talk about the Lord's Supper. In, he gives those verses in the context of reproving the Corinthian church, and he says, you're coming together for a feast, the, the Lord's Supper feast, and when they would have the Lord's Supper, every, they would communion, but they'd bring in food and wine and drink and all those kind of things, and there were people that were getting drunk, and they were eating all the food. There were people that weren't getting enough food, and so there was greed. There was revilers at the communion, at the worship service, and there were people who were going hungry, and so the Lord was not being celebrated. And, and, and to add to that, well, and listen what, listen what he says. He says, uh, verse 18, and I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Then in verse 20, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And that's why he says in verse 28 of chapter 11, you need to examine, let each person examine yourself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, in other words, judging your life and the life of the body, the church that's gathered, making sure that we are not tolerating blatant, unrepentant sin. If we're not willing to judge that, we will be taking this Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I, heard one, I read one great preacher say that it was like, in the Lord's Supper, literally, because you're tolerating blatant, unrepentant sin, it's like every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's like you're picking up the spear that the Roman soldier had and you're continuing to jab it into the side of the crucified Savior. We have a Passover lamb that's been shed, that, that's been sacrificed, and we're just acting like it doesn't matter. The very thing that killed him was a lack of repentance. The thing that he died for was to cover our sin and to give us a way to be free from this leaven, to be free from this blatant rebellion, and to take it into his bride, into the body of Christ, is the ultimate act of insolence to the King of Kings. He says, so that's why, look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. In other words, God was allowing and disciplining. He was disciplining the children. His family, we're all his children. He's disciplining us to make us aware of our tolerating the intolerable, which is blatant, unrepentant sin in the sight of God. And it was bringing upon discipline. So the church was getting sick because the church wasn't dealing with its sin. So, let's talk about church discipline. What is church discipline? Well, church discipline is any action taken, either formative or corrective. Now, chapter 5 is corrective. They're going to do a corrective form of discipline to this man, and I called him John and Sally in the early service. I just picked those names out of the... I'm sorry if your name's John or Sally. But here... Not only were they getting drunk and greedy and all of this at the Lord's Supper, but one Sunday, in walks John with his stepmother holding hands. And you can just hear it, because these were not large churches. These were mostly house churches, smaller churches. And so just picture a circle, and they're in their house. Maybe there's 10, 20, 30, 40 people, who knows how many. And in walks John and Sally. 
Y'all know my, I'm not sure what to call her now. It was mom, but now it's my girlfriend. And people were whispering, that doesn't seem right. The Romans on the outside, when they walked out, when John and Sally walked through the neighborhood, the Romans were like, isn't there a law against that? Yes. The Jews had a law against that, and and the punishment was stoning. And yet the bride of Christ, the local church, was allowing John and Sally to come in and, and after, well, the first Sunday, it created quite a, quite a stir. And every preceding Lord's Supper, John and Sally are sitting there taking the Lord's Supper in blatant, unrepentant rebellion. Now, here's what you need to know. Is that probably at this point, someone had maybe mentioned it. That's not right. And Matthew 18 is the process that we would, that we would follow. And it should follow, is if you see me sinning, or if I sin against you, you come in private to me and just say, listen, I'm, I, I don't think that's right. God's Word says not to do this, and I'm just, I want you to be right with the Lord, and I don't want it to infect the church, and I don't want it, God's discipline on your life, and because I love you, I just want you to know that sin is not right. Do you see that? Do you, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna, I don't care what you have to say. And then Matthew 18 says, well, bring another uh, one or two witnesses with you. Bring some others with you, and then ask a group and maybe you come together and say listen we're serious this is this is incest or this is sexual immorality this is obviously against God's word and it doesn't belong in the church it doesn't belong in your life because you're a child of God and we're here to help you and to set you free and we want to be there for you but you just can't do that and when they blatantly do not repent against that sin and they're arrogantly flaunting it in front of the church Paul says you need to correct that You need to correct it. We've learned a lot about our immunity system over the last two years. We all sort of feel like experts now, don't we? Vaccinations and viruses and uh, immunodrugs and all sorts of things, antibodies. Church discipline is the antibodies. It is the immune system for the body of Christ. We're a body. And if we suppress our immune system and we set it aside, the body gets sick. And the virus spreads and it takes advantage of a weakened immune system. And so church discipline is so important, but it's a real problem. And the problem with church discipline Paul addresses right here, and it is the problem in our churches. It's in the churches, all the churches I've pastored, and here's why it's a problem. Nobody wants to do this. It, is not, it does not make you happy. It is not joyful. It is like a funeral. You cry, you weep, you mourn. It's terrifying, it's horrible. And supposed to be. And so people avoid conflict. We got any conflict avoiders? I think we all are, to one degree or another. And so there's this problem of a lack of church discipline. Let me just tell you what causes that in most churches. One is bad teaching. 
There's some bad teaching out there, bad theology, bad doctrine. It's unscriptural. There is also constant indoctrination from our community and our world telling us that there is not objective truth. There's no standard of truth that we should adhere to. We are taught as Americans really to question and reject all authority. We're the ultimate authority, and so we subject the Word of God to our mind, our authority, and we flip it upside down, and so we just chop God's Word up to fit what we want to do. It happens all the time. And so you might be getting good teaching right now. I'm just trying to give you the Word of God, but some of you are chopping it apart and as it's going into your mind so that it fits what you've already decided. You're the authority over God's Word. You're going to get sick. Sin makes us sick and it kills us. It destroys our lives. Let God's word protect you. So there's bad theology and then bad listening. We just reject God's authority. And then there is the, I think, the natural for our desire is to love. Our natural desire is to forgive and to accommodate and compromise. And we don't want John and Sally to be unhappy. And we want, we're, you know, we just, that, and that's a good desire of us. We don't want to be mean, judgmental, pious. All of us get, we get confused. You know, they already think out in the culture we're pious people, that we're uh, goody tissues, we think we're better than other people, and they don't understand. We're just simply trying to do what God tells us to do. And so we want to avoid any form of piety or any form of looking like we think we're better than other people. And this is not that. And that desire sometimes causes us to sin. And we compromise. And we allow sin to stay in our lives and in the lives of our friends and in the life of our church. And it leavens the whole lump. The whole loaf gets leavened. So he puts some, he says there's a process. Here's what you need to do. When you've assembled, you've gone through the process. You've approached them to, you know, maybe the pastors approached them. Maybe he took some elders or some deacons and mothers and life group leaders and they've approached him. If all that fails, then you come together as an entire church and you sit down together and you say, this is sin. We love John and Sally and because we love them, we are going to turn them out under, out from under the umbrella of God's church, and we're going to put them out into the kingdom of Satan. And, that, and Satan basically rules everything under God's. He's allowing him to do that. And we are outposts in a great uh, evil kingdom. And so this, this idea of turning him over to Satan is to push him out from under the brotherhood and the sisterhood and put them out where they can... Uh, experience the full brunt of God's discipline. And God will just, and, and, like he did with Job, and we don't know how he might do it. That's not our business. Our business is just to obey God. And once we, once we exercise that church discipline, it's up to God what he allows Satan to do in that person's life in terms of disciplining him. And if that is a child of God... It is the corrective discipline of a father to draw them back in like that prodigal son, that prodigal child. And if that person is not a believer, then perhaps 
getting away from the church and allowing and the discipline of God would draw that person back to repentance. Repentance is our way into salvation and it is the mark of someone who is walking in right relationship with God is our immunity system is always kicking in saying don't do that, don't do that, do this, do this. It's keeping us healthy. And when repentance goes away, your immune system has broken down and you're going to get sick. So the process is a process of formally coming together. And, and I, I try to think of a, a good illustration of this. Imagine that you had, you're a mom and a dad. If you're not a mom and a dad, it's hard to, hard to totally imagine it. I pictured in my mind, I'm here, I'm a dad. But picture a mom and a dad, and you have four daughters. One is four, four years old. One is eight. One is 12. So you got a four-year-old elementary school, junior high. And then you have a high school junior, say 17, 18-year-old daughter. And you have taken them to church. You've raised them in the fear of God. You've taught them. You and your wife or husband, y'all have just poured your heart in them. You pray with them and for them every single night. And you pray they're going to meet a godly husband. And you pray they're going to just be wonderful women of God. And and just be wonderful, powerful witnesses. And then that older daughter comes home with a boyfriend. And you're just like, I knew it was going to happen one day. I've been praying for it. But what she brings home is not what you were praying for. (laughs) It's what you were praying against. And it gets bad. It gets real bad. And that daughter just falls in love with someone who drags her into all sorts of sin. They begin having sexual immorality. By the way, this word right here, sexual immorality, it means anything outside of sex between a man and a woman in a marriage. All else is sexual immorality. All else. Again, I'm under the authority of God's word on that definition. I don't have a choice. I could argue, God, what about this feeling? What about that feeling? What about this thing that happens? What about others and their feelings? I have to trust the maker of the engine, the maker of the model, that he knows how this works, what's best for us. But just imagine that now your daughter and this young man are engaged in this relationship and, and uh, you're trying to make the best of it. So you invite him over to dinner and you're trying to witness to him and maybe he'll get saved. And then you see not only is he not getting saved, she's kind of getting unsaved. She's going the other direction and pretty soon you know they're doing things they shouldn't do and they're dropping out of school and they're coming. But they want to live in your basement. Can we live in your basement? Uh, we quit our we don't we don't want we quit our jobs. We don't want to go to school, but we're in love, and we want to we want to sleep together in the attic. What do we have here? And we don't have basements here, or attics in Florida. What do we have? One of your rooms. Now, what would a good parent do? I'll tell you what this dad would do. It'd be one of the hardest things I'd ever do in my life. 
But if that daughter would not repent of that sin, it would not change her heart, and she would not live under the rules of the house, I would have to put her out. Why? For the sake of my other three daughters. Because the yeast, the leaven, will leaven the whole lump. You know this as a parent. That the example that older daughter would set would infiltrate. And the other daughters would begin to question, well, mom and dad don't think that's a problem. Why not get me one of those boyfriends? They're letting them get away with that. Well, why are you telling me I can't watch that or do that? You're telling them they can. You're okay with that. But you're telling me this. You know how it all falls apart. And just like it falls apart in the family, it falls apart in the church. If we overlook unrepentant, blatant sin. Now, all of us sin. All of us do things wrong. But the process and the purpose, the purpose of church discipline is to keep us going in the right direction. Uh, Jordan put together a couple of slides. I, I asked him if I could use these slides. I thought were pretty cool uh, visual for the purpose of church discipline and the process. See, if you remember the definition of church discipline, it's anything we do, formative or corrective, to disciple you and me. So all discipleship, that's where we get the word discipline, right? All forms of di- discipleship are good. And so we have discipline in types of relationships we have in church. Maybe you have a mentor. What a great idea. We were talking about that at our men's retreat. Mentoring um, is a great form of discipline. You have someone uh, above you or a little further ahead on the journey of faith, and they're helping you, and they go, man, let me help you get that out of your life. Let me help you kind of learn to do this a little bit better. Watch me, that kind of mentorship. And then you may be mentoring someone else that's a little, a little behind you on their journey. You're like, hey, come this way. Let me help you. Listen, eh, don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah, you need to be doing this. So mentorship is good. And then maybe there's uh, teaching, preaching. This is a form of discipleship. When you come in here on Sunday mornings and I'm walking through 1 Corinthians, we're learning this together. I'm just trying to, we're sharpening each other with God's word and I'm encouraging you. And some of you might walk out of here having learned something today. I'm praying. Maybe a couple people walk out going, hey, I learned something. Or maybe you walk out and it came from God's word. I need to change something in my life. or I need to do something because of what I heard today. You have been discipled or disciplined through the preaching of, of God's word. So there's things we do in the church like that a life group. A life group is a form of discipline. That is good, that formative. And then there's maybe counseling. You get into a counseling relationship. And so you're on that journey. But here we are, we're going and we're forming and all of us are on a continual journey of spiritual discipline. But then sometimes we do what we've always called it growing up. We backslide. We fall back a little bit. We do something dumb. 
We decide we're going to sin. We decide we're going to get out of church. We decide we're going to get into a bad relationship. We're just going to, we're going to sin, and we do a little bit of a U-turn on our journey of faith. And at that point, a loving body, a loving congregation, a loving life group, a loving friend is going to say, hey, 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 hold on. You just did a U-turn. That's, that's the old life. That's the old leaven. We just got out of Egypt. We're going to the promised land. Don't go back to the leaven of Egypt. And so what does that person do? They stop them and they go back and they, they talk to them and say, hey, listen. Or you do a U-turn and you come back to church one Sunday and you realize, Err. that was a break noise. I'm sorry it was so bad. But um, you hear the Word of God or you hear a lesson or you hear a good podcast on from a good preacher or whatever and you and and god gets you back on your journey and so in that corrective discipline you might have teaching counseling someone confronts the sin in your life a good friend or some others uh, who want to see you uh, re uh, renewed and then the final form of corrective discipline if it is unrepentant blatant sin is is excommunication That is in the Bible. We can't avoid it. And it is for a person's good. It's for their good. You know what the purpose of discipline, we see it in, in, um, at the end there, verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so we... We practice church discipline formatively and correctively as a way of protecting the bride of Christ and and holding on to one another so that we're moving together on a journey. And and my heart's this little phrase that we have in our vision statement. I'm always worried sometimes it's misunderstood as some sort of positive thinking, but I really... I want you to understand your greatest potential life is in Christ. And what our job as a church and as a friend and others is to encourage you to stay on that formative, disciplined, discipling journey towards all that God has for you. And, and Paul said, I run for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He continues towards that. He, he says, I discipline my body. So that it doesn't betray me. <laughs> and he's disciplining his churches through these letters. And so church discipline is not a bad thing. It's a sorrowful thing, often when it gets to that corrective stage. But it is an absolutely necessary thing. Because the whole church can be infected by blatant sin. All you have to do is look at churches and denominations and institutions all over this country who were founded on the authority of God's Word and now they completely reject it. How did that happen? It started with one. It started when no one did anything about the questions, about the sin. And now we have churches and entire denominations that are saying, listen, we've designed everything now that no matter what sexual immorality you choose, we want you. 
No matter what philosophy you embrace, we won't question it. That's satanic. That's not Christianity. God would not say, hey, listen, here's my beautiful bride. I used to think all that was bad. I've changed my mind. Come on in. Here's all my beautiful daughters. Take them. Have your way with my church. No, sir. God would rather kill a church than see his bride sullied that way. He threatens that in Revelation to the seven churches. He says, I'll take your lampstand. I'll put your light out because you're attracting and not repelling sin. I'll put your light out and take it somewhere else. Sometimes we just forget, don't we, that God takes sin seriously. And His Word is for our benefit. And never forget who you are, who we are. Don't just see it, oh, that's that mean preacher trying to tell me what to do. I'm your brother. We're family. Let's watch out for each other. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed, I wanted to end with this verse with you just in a a meditative, prayerful moment. I wanted you to hear the words of, of Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to these words. For our spirit, Our physical parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Church, the heart of this message is for us to enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Your heavenly Father wants your best and His Word is the path to follow so father I just thank you that Paul did not beat around any bushes in this chapter that Holy Spirit I think we all in this room can sense the truth of it father you say in scripture you are jealous for your people you made us You redeemed us, you bought us, you purified us. We are your bride, your family. We're precious in your sight. And you are jealous for us. You don't want us to go after the world and after sin. May we trust you with that. And you speak to us through your word. May we listen. 
May we follow. For your glory, God, we want this. And we know whatever is for your glory, we know and trust it is for our good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.